Good morning. Will you open up with me in your Bibles? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16 this morning. Now we are at the end of this sermon series entitled 2020 Vision. And we're going to take a look at this uh, final uh, thought here uh, that we're in this together. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, this is as Paul concludes his letter to the Corinthians. He writes, now about the collection for God's people, would you do as I told the Galatian churches to do? On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, after I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve, send them on their way to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Uh, let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for your goodness. Your goodness has been displayed all over our lives and in this world. We've seen healings. We've seen miracles. God, we've seen you come through so many times. And right now, we, we take a moment just to study what you have to say to us this morning. And I pray that your word will speak boldly to our hearts. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't read a lot of uh, John MacArthur, but I, I have to share this quote as he considers this passage in 1 Corinthians 16. I, I'll encourage you to read chapter 15. Because as MacArthur writes, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is just grandiose. It's magnificent. It's so far beyond what we could ever dream. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's talking about glorious bodies. He's talking about the voice of God calling the dead out of graves. He's talking about a great transformation. He's talking about the day when our bodies will become like Jesus Christ. The day when the trumpet sounds. The day when heaven explodes on our reality. The day when every imagination is fulfilled and far beyond. The day that we cry, where, O oh death, is thy sting? Where, O oh death, is thy victory? And then chapter 16, verse 1, after this grandiose, right? He says, and now about the collection. That's right. All of a sudden, we're right back down here on earth. Now, about that collection. But you know, as we think about it, he goes on to write, that is a really good illustration of how Christianity operates. Every glimpse we ever get of future glory is only given to us 
to encourage us to a deeper sense of commitment to the responsibilities that we have here and now. The whole idea is seeing ahead to render us responsible for here and now. He gives us the glimpse of our heavenly bodies, the resurrection, Jesus coming back to save us. So we know about our responsibility here and now. You know, Jesus said that we've got to love our neighbors as ourselves, right? And one of the teachers wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, as my, who's, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, there once was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead. But luckily, a priest was on his way down that same row. But he crossed to the other side. Ah, but luckily, a Levite, a religious man, showed up, but he avoided the injured man. And Jesus says that a Samaritan traveling the same road came on him. He saw the man's condition. His heart was filled with compassion, and he gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds, and he lifted him up on his donkey, led him to an inn where he could sleep and be comfortable. And in the morning... He gave the innkeeper two silver coins and said, take good care of this guy. If it costs more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you back. And Jesus said, which one of these three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? And the religious man, the religion scholar, the teacher of the law said, it's the one who treated him kindly and encourages not only that religious man, not only that teacher of the law, but he encourages you and me to do the same, to love our neighbor as ourself, right? You know, the collection is mentioned several times throughout Paul's letters. Right here in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, but he also alludes to it again in 2 Corinthians he mentions the Galatian church, and of course he talks to the Galatian church about the collection, and then of course you can read about this collection also in the letter to the Romans. You see, the Jerusalem church at that time was in great peril. According to Acts chapter 11, there was a famine that overwhelmed the early church. And so now the early church was already struggling to take care of the Jewish widows. They were struggling to take care of the Greek widows. And now they've got this famine that has landed across or landed right there in Jerusalem. And they were struggling, right? And remember what we talked about last week. There's some persecution going on as well. And there's some that are scattered. So you've got even a fewer number of Christians in Jerusalem to take care of all these needy people. 
According to his letter to the Galatians, Paul promises the apostles in Jerusalem that he would care for the poor. And at this moment in time, there was a huge need for that Jerusalem church. So as far as I can tell, Paul had two purposes in his missionary travel, right? To proclaim the gospel and to take care of those who had a need. But if you think about it, they're kind of one and the same. They kind of go hand in hand. You can't say that you care about someone's eternal need and then go and ignore their earthly need. I mean, imagine if you approached a beggar on the street eating a Snickers bar and you said, hey man, you're looking thin, you probably should get something to eat and then walk away eating that snake. That, ridiculous, right? No one would in their right mind do that. James chapter 2 tells us that suppose there was a, a brother or sister in need, no clothes or maybe no daily food. And if one of you says, well, you should go in peace. You should keep warm. You should be well fed. But does nothing for his physical needs? What good is that? What good is it? Jesus gives us a warning too about taking care of physical need while also caring about their eternal need, right? Jesus said, you remember this story? He said, there was a rich man. He had this expensive outfit. In fact, he always had the latest of fashion. He wasted his days in conspicuous consumption. And there was a poor man by the name of Lazarus. And Lazarus was covered in sores. And he had been dumped on this man's doorstep. All Lazarus lived for was to get a meal from the scraps that fell off the rich man's table. His best friend was a dog who would come by and lick his sores. But Jesus says, the rich man died. The poor man also did too. The poor man was taken up into the lap of Abraham. The rich man, he was not. In hell and in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham in the distance and, and Lazarus sitting on his lap, and he called out, Father Abraham, please have mercy. Would you please just ask Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue? I'm in fire. I'm in agony. John MacArthur said, every glimpse we ever get of future glory is only given to us to encourage us of the deeper sense of commitment to the responsibility here and now. And therefore, we have to acknowledge that we are a people of abundance. Amen? We are a people of abundance. And this world has an abundance of need, right? If you weren't here Wednesday night, you missed out on a wonderful time. Phyllis Thomas uh, comes on Wednesday nights. Phyllis Thomas was a uh, former missionary in Brazil. 
not in one of the city hubs of Brazil, not the part of Brazil where there's internet and cars and, and taxis and movies and TVs, no. She, the, the only way to get to Clint, her husband, and Phyllis was to take a boat. In their community, there was one car, one car, and that car didn't even work. Phyllis said that when her and Clint arrived, the people were just taken back with these white people, right? And if you knew Clint, he's about as white as they get. And Clint and Phyllis came there, and Clint was talking to one of the guys in town asking about the car that was just sitting there. And the, the, the people asked him if he could fix that car. And you know what he did? He met their physical need. Clint fixed the car, the one car in town. And she said, overnight, we became celebrities. People lined up at the, our doorstep to fix stuff for Clint just to fix stuff. What do you think Clint and Phyllis did with their newfound celebrity status? They did. They shared the gospel. Do you see how they were given an opportunity to share the gospel? They had a deep sense that their future glory demanded commitment here and now. The former director of Compassion International once said that the opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is enough. Is enough. He goes on to describe the six different types of poverty. Did you know there were six different types of poverty? There's economic poverty. We're familiar with that. But there's also social poverty. Those who can't speak up on their own, those who are oppressed. There's educational poverty, spiritual poverty, health poverty, environmental poverty, right? Where people don't have a good water supply or climate's bad or there's a housing, bad housing options. We need to recognize that poverty around us and in this world so that we we're not worried about making people rich, but the opposite of poverty, right? Just have enough. And that's when they'll listen to the gospel. I've often wondered about this exchange between John the Baptist and Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. At this point in the story, John the Baptist has been imprisoned by Herod Antipas after speaking the truth and about an illicit and shameful affair. John the Baptist had heard all these stories about Jesus, and he wondered, is this the same Jesus that I baptized? I mean, he cannot physically see, and so he just wanted to know. He's heard all these stories. And so he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the Messiah? Are you the chosen one? And Jesus could have at that moment said, yes, I am. He could have followed the disciples back to the jail and opened it, right? He's Jesus. But to prove to John the Baptist that he was Jesus, he says, go back and report to John what you see and hear, because the blind receive sight, 
The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, and he called people to what? Repentance. What were they turning from is the question. You have all these religious people he was preaching to also. When he called Peter, and uh, when he called uh, Peter, James, John, they were already following John the Baptist. They were already excited about the work that was have God that was happening around them, right? Who was he calling people away from? I think he called them to turn from selfish living. Because as you think about the new heaven and new earth, as you think about the kingdom of God, I think we have to think about our responsibility here and now. And this kingdom in this age. So how can we live out these principles that we see active in the teaching of Paul, where he talks about this collection? How can we live out the teaching that we see by Jesus when he combines the preaching along with taking care of the poor? The leadership and I here at Cornerstone are committed to missions. I don't know if you all know this or not, but last year alone, we gave away 31%. 31% of the gifts that were received here, we gave to missions. We used the PPP loan that we got from the government and gave it away to our missionaries. We used extra money unused towards salaries, utilities, and programs to go to local and worldwide needs like refugees in Jordan, churches in Israel and India, benevolence in our Lonsdale community, and a helping hand to those who were affected by Hurricane Laura. Here at Cornerstone, we try to follow the pattern set by Paul in 1 Corinthians. We take up an offering every week, and we try to be transparent and honest about our spending, that it's appropriate and responsible, as Paul did, right? He said, hey, you, you want these guys to come with me? Make sure this gift is going where it's going? That's transparency. That's responsibility. I think that's a direct application to this text this morning. That the church should be responsible and should take care of the poor. But it's not the only application we can take from it, right? Because there's a burden that's placed on us. There's a burden that's placed on me an individual responsibility to see a need and meet that need, whether you're fixing a truck for a village or helping a neighbor mow his lawn. It's to consider the truth of the gospel proclaimed in 1 Corinthians 15, and then when you get to 16, you're living here and now. And today, as we hold the emblems, the bread and the juice, we proclaim, where, O oh death, is thy victory, right? As we hold the bread and juice, we're reminded, where, O oh death, is thy sting, right? But this meditation should not end there alone. It should call us to action. God's kindness should lead us to repentance, an unselfish life a life of love, a life that cares 
about what's happening in the here and now. The next song that we sing, I want to take a line from it, my favorite line in this song. The line is this, love so amazing, so divine, that it demands my life, my soul, and my all. Amen? That love is so amazing. It's so divine that it calls me to give. Let God's love call you to a bigger purpose in life. Let his love change you completely. Let's pray. Father God, I cannot say thank you enough. I I, I think about the sacrifice it took to die on the cross, and I'm just in awe. Father, I pray that we can all just respond appropriately to this gospel, this truth, this changed life, this resurrection. I pray that it'll call us to repentance as we say thank you for that gift. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.